Good morning, and I am thankful for this opportunity to be able to preach this morning. And I'm glad that you came here to worship the Lord at this time. You don't have any notes today, and that's because I can't control my sermon preparation and my life has become unmanageable. So uh, I'll trust you'll be able to follow along with that. Let's go to the Lord now in prayer. Well, God, I thank you again that you are a God who saves and that you would save someone like me and someone like each person here. God, thank you that you, through Scripture, declare your commitment to us. How strange that God would make a promise to people. God, thank you that that's the kind of God you are. As we look at your Scriptures today, Lord, inspire us like you inspired Paul to write. Inspire us, Lord, to hear and to understand and to believe. Father God, please, if anyone here doesn't know you, speak to their hearts today through your spirit that they can today become heirs with Christ and have eternity with you, sins forgiven. God, please speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. The passage I'm preaching from today started off with the whole passage. It shrinks down to one, but I'm going to read the, the whole passage to you. So Romans chapter 4, verses 13 to the end of the chapter. For the promise to Abraham, which he had, for the promise to Abraham or to his descendants, that he would be heir of the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise is nullified. For the law brings about wrath, but where there is no law, there is no violation. For this reason, it is by faith, in order that it may be in accordance with grace, so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of all. As it is written, a father of many nations have I made you in the presence of him whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. In hope against hope, he believed so that he might become a father of many nations according to that which had been spoken, so shall your descendants be. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, he was about a hundred years old in the deadness of Sarah's womb, yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully assured that what God had promised, he was also able to perform. Therefore, it was also credited to him as righteousness. Now, not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him, but for our sake also, to whom it will be credited as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he who was delivered over because of our transgressions and raised because of our justification. We're going to focus this morning on just the first verse, verse 13. For the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would be heir of the world was not through the law, but through the, right, but through the righteousness of faith. So we're going to focus on that. The, the little phrase there, uh, heir of the world uh, attracted my attention and so that's where we're kind of where we're going to focus air being an heir and airship is an important thing uh, 
everybody who uh, has something to inherit is concerned with that. The world is very interested in estates and the wealth and the, the uh, wealth of the wealthy, the wills of the wealthy. Often the uber rich uh, cause scandals with their designees or their heirs. Uh, movie, don't know that you could go, should go see it, but a movie about J. Paul Getty uh, in his life and his will. Richest man in the world gave most of his wealth to a museum in his name to honor him, uh, denying it to his heirs. The internet, well, which we know how valid that often is, uh, the internet uh, asserts that Oprah Winfrey has a trust fund for her dogs, every how many dogs are alive when she passes, for $30 million. Uh, and that, that seems scandalous to us. Why would somebody do that kind of thing? And there's other reports on the internet for similar things. I think, however, as scandalous and as absurd as that sounds, to the first century hearers, Paul's comment is as absurd or as ridiculous because imagine this, you're, re you're hearing this from a Jewish mindset where the law is all that there is and being a part of the nation of Israel is, is the important thing. Or the Romans who say, we control the world. All the known world is conquered by Rome. And here Paul says that Abraham or his descendants would be heirs of the world. How ridiculous could that have seemed to them? No, Paul, it can't be. But that's what God has promised us, that Abraham or his descendants will be heirs of the world. Now, the first thing we're going to look at is just the word promise. For the promise to Abraham. And promise is an interesting word for us because in the Old Testament, it's never used referencing the promises of God or the commitments or the covenants of God. That's a, that is a... Uh, the rabbis brought that up, and Paul brings it into our discussion. Uh, these commitments, these declarations, these covenants that, that God made with Abraham weren't ever declared or identified as promises. They were simply, if God said it, it's true, and therefore is equivalent to a promise. The idea, the word there, promise, is first off, it's not a passing thought. We often make New Year's resolutions, passing thoughts, how many of us uh, fulfill them? Very few. Uh, so it's not that kind of a promise. Rather, it's a, it's a legal term. It was, uh, the decision of a court was considered as a promise. It's an absolute dictate. And so when Paul says the promise of God to Abraham, it's an absolute thing. It's a vow, like in a marriage. In a marriage, the vow is binding, it's binding legally, it's binding morally, and it's binding for the life of the participants. And so it's a, it's a, God, it's a divine promise to us for God's commitment. It's a contract. It, it has two parties that, are, that agree to the, both the, to the conditions, the requirements, and the fulfillment. Genesis 15.8 refers to it as the covenant that God made himself with Abraham. Now, in the surrounding cultures, which were polytheistic, they had many gods, little gods, a host of gods. Their gods never made promises to mankind. Their gods expected men, women, people to make promises to them, but no obligations from their polytheistic petty deities. And the amazing thing is that God, who is the God of all creation, makes promises, commitments to us. 
his people. And so that's a, it's an unusual thing in the ancient Near East, in, the, in Rome of the first century, for God to make a promise to us. The Genesis 12 statements, and, and it will be filled in all your, in the families of the earth. Uh, verse 7, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, your descent to the, your descendants, I will give this land. And then in 1518, it refers again to the scope of the land from, e, from the river of Egypt to the Euphrates. Genesis 22, 17, indeed, I will greatly bless you. I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore and your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies, in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. God is making a permanent, eternal covenant with his people. That's the promise. So the first thing we look at this morning in this verse is the promise. God made a commitment to Abraham or his descendants the promise in uh, the, the writing period there of the Old Testament to the New, promise became such a catchword or technical term, they no the writers no longer needed to say the promise of God. It was just understood. God made his promise. So God makes a promise. The next part of the, of the verse is, if you've got a promise, you've got to have a person to whom the promise is made. God made a promise. Who did he make the promise to? It says here, to Abraham, interesting word, or his descendants. Now, Abraham is specifically mentioned in these verses. We won't go through them all again, identifying it. But God will bless you. He addresses Abraham, and he uses the, the uh, pronoun you and yours, and he will bless you. And then it goes on to say, or... The expansion of not just to Abraham, but to his descendants. Now, my translation has the word plural, descendants. That's not the best translation of the word. Uh, others could translate it as offspring, or uh, it, it's a singular word. And so offspring is a reasonable translation because that gets away from being plural to being singular. Uh, 22.17 says that he will multiply your seed, another good translation for that, through the son of promise, Isaac, not through Ishmael. And then in Galatians 3.16, Paul takes that as an important point of theology, a, 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 an important teaching. Paul, based on the singleness of the noun, that it's a single noun, seed, offspring, descendant, and Paul says, therefore, that's a specific in Galatians 3. Paul says that's a re reference to Christ himself. That is the true heir, Christ. And to his seed as referring to the many, Paul wrote, and to the seed as referring to many rather to, to one. And to your seed, that is Christ. And so the promise is to God's people, who is to Abraham or his descendants. Who are they? Ultimately, they are us. God has made his promise to Abraham or his descendants, and that includes us. They are who, who are they? Not just the blood relatives of the descendants of Abraham, but those who have the faith of Abraham. Romans 8:15 says, "For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear, but again you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, "Abba, Father." So we are joint heirs with Christ. We've been adopted through him, 
And now we inherit, we are heirs of the promise to Abraham or his descendants. And so uh, the, per, the promise goes to Abraham and, and his recipients. Now, Abraham was in uh, chapter 15 of Genesis. Abraham was worried about his heir. And uh, Brandon read this for us. Abraham said, oh, Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abraham said, you have, you have given offspring to me. One born in my house is an heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. And so Isaac is that miraculous child of God, you know, the miraculous child of Abraham that God brought forward through us for the promise. And so we got a promise. We got the promise to the person, Abraham or his descendants, and then what's the position of those of us in that category? And that position is that we have now become heirs. We are heirs with Abraham uh, through faith. Jews through the law up until Christ, and now we are incorporated into the faith. And so Christ is the heir of promise, and we are co-heirs. If children, we are heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, Paul said, so that we may also be glorified with him. So we are incorporated into that. We become the heirs of God's promise. John 1.12 says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the, the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name. So you and I can enjoy and benefit being an heir of Christ, being an heir of Abraham as an heir of the world through our faith in Christ. And so we come to this point and say, have you made the commitment of faith to be an heir with Christ, an heir with Christ and God's promises to Abraham? And so we've got the promise, we've got the person, we've got the position, we are heirs. And then what's the place of promise? And the word translated here for the world is the word cosmos, where we get our word for cosmology and those kind of things. The word is of all creation. Now God made the promise to Abraham in chapter 12 and then again in chapter 15 that I will give you this land, he specifically in 15 says, Genesis 15, from the river of Egypt, the wadi of Egypt, to the Euphrates, bounded by the Mediterranean Sea and the desert. And so that is the area that God has specifically promised to Abraham. I'll give to you this land. That comes to fulfillment after the Exodus, then into the Judges, and finally we get the, the kingdom, and David, and then Solomon expand that to fulfill that in the, the full area from the wadi of Egypt, to the Euphrates River, and that becomes the nation of Israel. However, that becomes problematic with the kingdom divides, Judah and Israel, and then the fall of those kingdoms and the exile, and then the country, the, the uh, Jews return to Palestine, they, they resume their position very seldom and for brief periods of time are they in control of their country. Usually they're subjugated by other more powerful nations like Rome as the time of Paul's writing. And so in what way would a reader say, how on earth are we heir of the world 
when we are subjugated by these other nations. And therefore, in that period, the intertestamental period between the close of the Old Testament and the, and the New Testament, the rabbis took this term, these promises to Abraham to shift from the physical land to an eschatological time when God would return and rule the world. And some of the words that they use in their writings were the immortal world, the future world, or the world to come. So the place of promise begins as this small part of the world, the geographic world, but then it expands and becomes all the world, the, the cosmos, the, the, everything that God has created. And so God has changed the word there from speaking in Genesis, the heavens and the earth, and, and that means the ground, the, the, the world itself, to the world as we can see in a broader, broader sense. Revelation, the New Testament writer says, Revelation 21, John wrote, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And so there's this eschatological fulfillment of the promise to Abraham. And so the, finally here, on this point, the world eventually comes to mean not only the, the place of the realm, where the king rules, where God rules, it becomes the people of the realm. And so when it says that you will be heir of the world, it's not, it's not simply a reference to a physical kingdom, but it becomes a reference to those who inhabit the kingdom, the world. That's where we get the use of the word in John 3.16, for God so loved the world, not the physical, material, earthen world, but God so loved the world, the people who populate the world, those who are created and made in God's image, the Jews and the non-Jews, the Gentiles, all of us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So this idea of the, the place of the promise is now it includes the people of promise, and that includes us Believers, those who have faith in Christ. And so then we come to, we've got the promise. You've got the people of the promise. We've got the position of the people of promise. We've got the place, which is all of us now. And lastly, we have the promise, the process of the promise. And how do we access this promise of God? You shall be heir of the world. First off, it was clearly through the bloodline of Abraham. Those through Isaac and Jacob notice that Ishmael's descendants weren't included in this bloodline. It's the bloodline of the covenant. The rabbinic view was that you became part of the promise of God. The, you became an, of the Abraham or his descendants through genealogy. You could trace your genealogy back to Abraham in obedience to the law. So it wasn't simply those who had the covenant, or the, it wasn't simply those who were bloodline, but also those who were of the bloodline and kept the covenant. And that leaves you and me out. I can't become a descendant of Abraham physically. I no way I can do that. I, I, can't, I can keep the law, but I can't become a descendant. So that would cut us out. The rabbinic view was strict adherence to both lineage 
and law, and that's how you would ensure your participation in that future kingdom, the kingdom to come. But we all know no one can keep all the law. And so that's why Paul says here that it's through the righteousness of faith. According to Paul, the true descendants aren't simply those who are lineage of Abraham. It is those who have the faith of Abraham, that have belief like Abraham, that trust God to fulfill his promises and follow him. Romans 10.9, Paul clearly states that for us, and he says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What is my introduction into the kingdom of God, into the being an, uh, having being an heir to the world? It's through faith in Christ. That if we will confess him and believe him, will the promise, and so invitation to you today, will the promise you have given to a- that was given to Abraham about 4,000 years ago, Is that promise valid for you today? Have you come to a place in your life where you have said, I embrace, I believe, I follow Christ. Have you confessed with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Do you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead? Does the spirit in you and in your spirit cry out, Abba, Father? And so this morning, as we look at one simple verse in Romans chapter 4, we see that there's a promise, a promise not made by men, but made by eternal God. We have a promise. That promise is made to Abraham and his descendants, and we we are included in that. The place of promise is the world, and that's us and all those who uh, live that confess and believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord. And then the process for that, we come to Christ by faith. Have you come to Christ by faith? And if today is the time that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, respond saying, I want to follow Jesus. After, this, after I'm done preaching, we're going to have a song. I'll be up here at the front. If, if you have a challenge in your heart, God's moving in your heart, please come and talk to me during that. There's also people being before the you after the sermon, after the song and the service. So today I invite you to look and see, am I a true heir of God through faith in Jesus. Let me close in prayer. Father God, thank you for your word, the depth that is in it, in a simple verse like this. God, help us to know that we are truly your heirs and to be followers of you and to see your kingdom come in this world. And so God, please do this now in Jesus' name. Amen.